let's pray. God, thank you that in a moment like this, we pause and we're reminded that Jesus came to earth for us. This is a season that in some ways distracts us from you because there's so much to be done. There are so many tasks, there are responsibilities, there are lists, there are appointments. But God, we pause now to be reminded that Emmanuel means God with us. It's an earth-shaking, world-changing statement to know that God became man, that Jesus was sent to this earth to live so that he could die, and he died so he could raise again. We thank you that this night is truly about the appearance of Christ on this earth. Keep that in the forefront of our minds, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Merry Christmas to you. I'm Robert Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If we haven't yet had an opportunity to meet, I'm so glad that uh, you are all here. And um, sorry for all of those crammed in the back on the plastic chairs. But we're glad to have you here anyway. See you later. Look, he's waving. So we are uh, here wrapping up our series that we've been doing for the month of December called Christmas Unwrapped. And it's a series that's been dedicated to helping us as a as a spiritual family, figure out how to take the gifts that God has given us and give them to people who need them. The gifts he's given to us through the spiritual realities found in Christ, how can we give those to people who are far from God? And tonight, we continue with the last of the gifts that we have been given that we're going to be discussing. So the other day, I was uh, at a Christmas party. My wife and I were invited. It was in the neighborhood. We didn't really know most of the people there. And uh, when you walk into a situation like that, you know, you don't know anyone, so what do you do? You strike up conversation. You start talking to whoever happens to be standing there. And the conversation will inevitably start to go toward what they do for a living, what's their job, their family situation. We spend a lot of time talking to people about Sports and their kids. That was a a big topic of conversation. Everyone we spoke to, I think without exception, all at least at some point mentioned just how overwhelmed they were with something. You know, life in general. Everyone is overwhelmed. So a lot of sports, a lot of kids, a lot of overwhelmed. Uh, And then uh, a few would even, just you could tell, they, they almost, if they didn't even want to talk about it, eventually they did talk about something that was going on, some hurt some struggle they were going through, some family member that was sick, because of course these are the things that are on their minds. It's what's shaping their story. And it was neat, a lot of people opening up and sharing their stories. So you can imagine yourself over the next uh, few days and even a couple of weeks here as we have, you know, the Christmas parties and then we've got the New Year's parties and then we have the shortly after New Year's parties, uh, all the Christmas parties that couldn't quite happen. And you're gonna be hanging out at all these parties And I just want to ask you, what's your story? What's your story? Now, of course, if you were in one of those settings and you started a conversation, no doubt you would talk about, you know, your kids if you have them, or you'd talk about your job, your career, you'd talk about maybe some particular crisis that you're going through. And that is all, of course, very, very normal, and it's a part of the beauty of the season, getting to know people and share life in that way. But that's not what I'm talking about here tonight. Tonight, I want to ask you, what's your Jesus story? You know, not, not, not all of the other stuff. It's great stuff. It's very important. But what is your Jesus story? Meaning the story of your life transformation 
that has taken place because you've met Jesus. Your Jesus story. Do you have one? So we have a very festive Bible passage that we get to look at today in honor of uh, Christmas Eve. It's a story about, uh, about demons and despair and dead pigs. So this is just my little Christmas gift to all of you from my heart to your heart. So open up, if you would, in a Bible to Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Luke 8, 26. If you don't have a Bible there, if you don't have an app, there's Bibles under the seats, or you can just kind of look on with someone next to you or in front of you, because that's not awkward. <laughs> Chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Merry Christmas. Here's a Christmas story for us. There's two life stories that emerge from our text. The first story. The man possessed by demons. So before we jump into his story, let's just talk for a moment about the supernatural nature of this text. Because for our modern ears, and especially here living in the West, this talk of supernatural things and creatures and all that, it seems very foreign to us. And we're not usually very comfortable with it. And I don't want to develop kind of a full-blown theology tonight on the supernatural, not our purposes here. But I do want to say that if you, see, if you don't believe in God, then that's where we should start. If you don't believe in God, then I'd love to talk to you about how it is that many of us find it far more rational to believe in God than to not believe in God. It's much better than the alternative. But if you already believe in God, 
which is statistically most all of you, this is what uh, the researchers tell us, then the angels and the demons part should be easy for you because you've already opened up the door to the supernatural. And once you've granted that the supernatural can exist, that there is in fact a deity, then the supernatural world can come with him. And the idea of angels and demons is a natural part of that. It's also hard to deny the existence of darker spiritual forces when you just think about the evil that is present in the world. The depth to which humanity is able to descend startles us. And many people, philosophers among them, would say, it's just simply too dark. Something's wrong. It, it betrays a deeper and an even more insidious reality. Now, we don't need to get overly wrapped up in talking about and worrying about demons, but I think to ignore them, I think to ignore them is actually naive on our part because the Bible makes it very clear that there are dark spiritual forces that are bent on destroying the beauty that God creates, on deforming whatever they can, especially humanity. So that's kind of the supernatural side of this. It's an inevitable part of this story. But let's just imagine the man who was healed for a minute. Let's just imagine his story. He was told to go and share his story. So what would that have looked like? What would it have been like for him to share his story? Imagine he was having a conversation with a friend. What would it be like? He might say to his friend, you know, as you know, I was in a, I was in a pretty bad place. You're well aware, you know, that I had lost my wrestling match with my demons. I had succumbed to them and I was under their torment and I was a fractured version of my true self. He would go on to tell a story of how he roamed in the tombs naked. A biblical picture or image of the nature of shame in the human condition. He would talk about having lived alone among the dead. He would talk about how he had been abused and unloved. And then he would turn the corner in his story and he would say, and then I met Jesus and he vanquished my demons. He restored me to health. He gave me back my sanity. He brought me home. He allowed me to go home to my family and my friends and he gave me an even bigger spiritual family. And then he sent me on a mission. He gave me a purpose in life beyond anything I had ever known before. It's amazing. I was lost and now I'm found. I've made more fully human than I have ever been in my life. Be a pretty great story to hear. There's another story here, the second story. It's the townspeople who were possessed by fear. And their story sounds just a little bit different. You have to imagine them now sitting around the black sheep or some other after work pub hanging out, talking to their friends about what had just gone down. So he might start his story like this. It was unreal. This Jewish guy, he comes across the lake. He gets out of his boat. And you know the lunatic that lives up in the tombs? Yeah, he comes running down, shouting, and he falls in front of this guy, one of the Jewish guys named Jesus. And it was an incredible scene, very tense. And all of a sudden, this guy Jesus casts demons out of the lunatic. And that's not it. The demons went into a herd of pigs 
and 2,000 pigs stampede off the cliff into the water and die. You wouldn't believe it. It was an incredible scene, absolutely crazy. The friend might say to him, well, what happened to the lunatic? Oh, he's fine. I mean, better than fine. What? What? Yeah, but the pigs, man, the owners are so upset about the pigs. I mean, this was a huge herd, really important to him. Wait, did you say the lunatic was fine? Yeah, yeah, he's fine. What happened, what happened to Jesus? I mean, the guy that did this. Oh, Jesus. We drove him out of town. You, wait, you what? Yeah, we drove him out of town. The guy freaks me out. I mean, think about it. I mean, who knows what he would have done next? Did I tell you about the pigs? There was a lot of dead pig. Who knows what he would have done next? He's, he's trouble to have around. It's better. But don't you think that if he had stayed, he could have done some pretty incredible things? I mean, there's other sick people. There's other people who could, who could have benefited from having him here. Yeah, no. No, I don't think so. I think he's trouble. It's bad news. It's better for him, better for us if he just moves along. So that's what we did. I mean, the same storyline, the same event happened, and it resulted in two very very different stories. Why'd they drive him off? I mean, maybe it was their fear of Jesus' incredible power. Maybe, maybe that was it. It just makes them, you know, want to keep him at, at, at a distance. Or maybe it was the fear of the economic loss. You know, that was a costly moment with all those pigs rushing over into the sea. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was that fear that caused them to drive Jesus out of their town. It's hard to know. Can we, just, can we talk about the pigs for just a minute, though? Because it's, it's a lot of pigs. And, and we're already here. It's Christmas Eve. We may as well talk about the pigs. So 2,000 pigs dead. We know that because one of the other gospel writers told us how many pigs it was. Luke doesn't tell us, but Mark, he tells us that it was 2,000 pigs, a giant herd, all dead. And I know what you're thinking. All that bacon. <laughs> Wasted. Wasted. Unbelievable. There's going to be no bacon-wrapped dates for appetizers for Christmas. No bacon-wrapped asparagus as your, as your vegetable. No bacon-wrapped filet for your entree. No bacon-wrapped bacon for dessert. <laughs> Just all gone. Like, why, oh, why, all the dead pigs? In all seriousness, some of us here might be offended by the fact that Jesus participated in the wanton destruction of animal life. That's a massive loss by any reckoning. Now, to be technical here, Jesus didn't kill the pigs. The demons killed the pigs. And so if we wanted to be technical, but we don't want to be technical because we know that in some way, Jesus was complicit with this. But to help us try to get our heads around it, we got to be a little bit creative in our thinking. What would, what would possibly be at the root of this? It seems like such an odd, odd scene. And you have to kind of put yourself back in that day because most everyone here would know that the Jewish people, even to this day, consider pork, consider the pig an unclean animal. It's not part of kosher dietary laws. And based on even the, the teachings from the Old Testament, it's understandable why it is that the Jewish people consider it an unclean animal and they're not allowed to, not allowed to touch it if they're observant Jews. And, and in the New Testament, it wasn't until Jesus and later the apostles actually overturned a lot of these dietary rules that any of this even changed for Christ followers today. So that's a little bit of kind of the story here, but, but it goes much more than simply being an unclean animal. 
You see, during this time, Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. And the Romans made it a practice because they knew that the pig was so offensive to the Jewish people. They used the flesh of pigs to desecrate the Jews and their places of worship. And so they would force the Jews as part of this particular time of Roman oppression to offer pig flesh on their altars, which would make them, their altar, and their temple unclean. They were trying to deconstruct both Jewish identity and their religion. This is what actually caused the Maccabean revolt, and it's why we, they celebrate Hanukkah today. It's all related to this moment of time where oppression using the flesh of pigs was at the heart of what was actually going on in the nation of Israel. A lot of very devout Jewish people died because of the flesh of pigs, because they refused to offer it as a sacrifice and were killed because of their, their conviction of faith. So no doubt that is some of the background here as to why the Jews, they would have heard this and they would have cheered for all of these dead pigs. This would have been a sign of their oppressors being beaten, the object of their oppression being beaten. But I think there might even be another reason. I think you have to imagine, again, the scene there because it's so easy for us. Even today we would do this, of course, today, even more so today. We would make excuses as to what we really just saw. We would be like, oh, maybe it was an epileptic fit. You know, the guy wasn't really possessed by demons. I mean, come on, it was some sort of epilepsy, and now it's in remission, and Jesus, maybe he healed him of epilepsy. But it's not about, it's not about spiritual forces and, and demons. But I got to imagine that the disciples and the townspeople, once they saw this incredible display of power, maybe Jesus knew that, the, that they needed a very visual confirmation of what was really going down here. You can't debate it now. They left the man, they ran into the pigs, and they caused the pigs to run off a cliff, not pig behavior. They're not herding lemming kinds of animals. This is very unusual for all of them. They would have known it was unusual. But then a little part of me thinks that maybe the reason behind it has to do with the man himself. You have to think about him for a minute because you could, I mean, how long was the guy possessed? Who knows? The story doesn't tell us. A long time, though. Had the demons ever given him a break? Did they ever kind of go into the background and let him, his own personality and his own humanity come through for a little bit and then come back to ravage him more and take away more hope? Who knows? But I wonder if the man himself needed a visual sign. I wonder if he needed to be convinced, if Jesus allowed this to happen, in order to convince the man that he was finally free. Maybe all of these animals rushing off, the image of all of these demons flooding over this cliff and dying and all these carcasses floating in the lake, maybe that's what the man needed to finally know. He was free. He was truly free. For whatever the reason, we know that these are two very, very different stories. And at the end of our man's story, he begs to go with Jesus. He begs, let me go with you. He begs. There's some interesting thing that happens here. There's three requests in our text. First, it's the demons who beg to not be sent into the abyss. They beg to go into the pigs. And Jesus says, yeah, okay, go ahead. Yes, you can do it. Then the townspeople come, and they beg Jesus to leave. Come on, man, you've got to leave our town. Leave our town. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll leave. Then... You get the third request, which is the guy who you most expect Jesus will say yes to. He's like, please, please, please let me go with you. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, you're not going with me. 
And at first, this seems like such a sad twist in the story. It's like, why would you do this? This is the one guy. You shouldn't have granted the other two requests, and you should have granted the last request, Jesus. He always seems to be doing things different than we would have expected. And yet he had a very important plan. See, this man had lived alone and unloved among the dead, and now he's going home to live among the living. He's being restored back to his family and to his friends. And this man, who had spent an incredible amount of time roaming aimless and naked in caves, is now clothed with the righteousness that comes from Christ. And he's not aimless anymore. He's been given a purpose, a life mission, to go and share his story with others, his Jesus story. In fact, if the townspeople aren't going to tolerate Jesus being there, Jesus has another plan. He'll leave the transformed man in their midst to share his Jesus story with them. And you know, when I look at my own Jesus story, I can identify with this man. The details are, of course, very, very different. But many years ago, I felt like I was living in a, in a pagan land, and Jesus came from whatever holy land that he, you know, came from. And he came to my land that was filled with unclean animals and unreceptive people and demons and what I consider to be some very powerful demons. And in that moment, he called me to himself. You know, this was many years ago, personally, for me, for my Jesus story. And Jesus took me, a mostly self-absorbed young man who was headed down a road to become a user and an abuser of people, often found myself giving in to my own demons, obsessed with success, obsessed with money. And Jesus comes along and he offers me something better. He promises to heal me and to be with me and to never fail me. And he promises that he's going to forgive my many, many sins. And beyond that, he says to me, I'm going to give you an abundant life and a place in eternity with me forever. I mean, this is my Christmas story. It's when Jesus decided to come here to me, not simply to the world in general, but to me. And beyond all belief, he comes to me later and he says through his word, go and tell others. In fact, tell anyone who will listen about your Jesus story. So I ask you again, what is your Jesus story? Maybe you can see yourself in the man. Maybe that's who you most identify with here. Maybe you see yourself as having been beaten down over the course of life and you're dumped on by others and you've been divided against yourself inside. You feel that struggle going on. And you would, you would identify with being alone, living among the dead. You know, people today, of course, are more likely to be controlled by our metaphorical demons, our lusts and our anger and our selfishness our addictions and our fears. And you might recognize that you need an encounter with Jesus. Or maybe you don't identify with that guy at all. Maybe instead you identify with the townspeople. Maybe for you, you're more comfortable with the demons that you know than you are with the Jesus that you don't know. You know, maybe for you, you're so preoccupied with the busyness of life or with your work, your achievement, what you need to do next, 
Maybe you're so wrapped up in all that, you're not really quite ready to listen to Jesus. You don't want an encounter with him. Maybe it's because you're clinging to your pigs more than you are to Christ. Maybe you know. Maybe you're worried that if, in fact, he comes into your life, that more, that more of your pigs are going to have to die. So what is your Jesus story? Now, maybe here you're sitting here tonight and you're realizing, you know what? I don't know that I have a Jesus story. I don't know that I've ever had a transformative encounter with the Son of God. I mean, I know the Jesus story. I know it from the Bible or I heard it when I was growing up or I hear it every time I come out to Christmas services or anything like that. Maybe I know the story, but I don't have one. I don't have an encounter with Jesus. And if that's you tonight, I just, I ask you why. Why not? I mean, that's why he came. That's what Christmas is all about. Why are you keeping him at arm's length? Why are you... Why are you chasing him out of your town? You know, maybe it is that you're fearful of what you're going to have to give up to get it. And Jesus is telling you, he's saying, I am offering you an incredible gift. And I can assure you it is better than anything you're going to have to leave behind. It is better, more satisfying, more rewarding. He's calling you toward an encounter with him. Unwrap that gift. Now for others here, you have a Jesus story. And I just want to ask you if it is ready to be shared with others. Do you know it so well? Have you thought through it so well that you have actually gotten to that place in your life where you can tell it to others? We have a worksheet for you that we want to um, have the ushers um, hand out. And uh, they're going to hand out this worksheet. And our hope and our plan for you is simple. All right? Not work on it right now. But over the next few days... If you work your way through this sheet, it's simply two sides to, uh, to a, a, a single sheet of 8.5 by 11 paper. It's a whole series of questions. And if you just work through these, maybe it'll take you 10, 15 minutes to answer these questions. At the end of it, it will your answers that you write down to each of those questions will provide you with your Jesus story. A three to five minute version. And so this little worksheet is a great tool for you to help kind of think about where you were at before your encounter with Jesus? What was your life like? What were you like? How did you treat people? What was your core identity and your value set? What was all of that like? Then it will talk to you. It'll ask you about what it was like when you finally had an encounter with Jesus. For those of you who haven't, this is the moment where you get to decide whether or not you want an encounter with Jesus. But for those that have a Jesus story, this will help crystallize for you what happened when you met Jesus. What did he take away from you? What pigs had to die in your life? What did he promise you? What was it that you found so compelling about it? And then the worksheet will kind of take you from that place to a place where you'll start to ask, what has your life been like since then? And here we're trying to figure out what, what has changed in your life? What sort of transformation has actually been taking place what was your, what, what the, your core identity, how it was transformed, and how it is continually being transformed on a regular basis? Have you gone from fear to confidence? Have you moved maybe for you, it was from worry to trust? See, everybody has a story, and, and for you to begin to understand what it is that Jesus has done for you, 
will help crystallize your story for you and you'll be able to write it down and know it cold. And that's our hope and our plan, for you to know your story cold, to have your three to five minute version of this. And you know why, of course, because that makes it accessible to others. And that's our hope and our plan. In fact, we want you to practice your story. So try this. Parents, you're here and you have a Jesus story. Have you ever shared your Jesus story with your kids? Because if you haven't, that's a great place to start to practice. I bet they would love to hear how it is that you encountered Jesus and what took place, the transitions in your life from who you were to who you are today. You can actually do this. And so for Christmas, you can offer that to them as a gift and it's great practice for you. Practice it in other ways. Maybe you find your growth group. If you're part of a growth group, they're a great group of people to share it with. Call up someone you know who has a Jesus story and they would love to listen to your story and say, hey, listen, I'm doing this assignment. I'm working on this thing. I'm trying to figure out my Jesus story. Can I share it with you? Maybe you're in a discipleship group. We've got discipleship groups here. That's a fantastic group. They can give you feedback on it and kind of ask you questions about it and help crystallize your story. Because once you know it cold, you can give this amazing gift to others. You can give it to others. You can give it to them this Christmas. You can give it to them all year long. It becomes one of the greatest gifts. And by the way, if you are participating in the Christmas Unwrapped Challenges, if you don't know anything about that, it's all on the website. It's related to our Christmas ornament and all that kind of stuff. We've been going over it for the last few weeks. If you know what I'm talking about and you're participating, this is your final challenge for Christmas Unwrapped to share your story with someone who's far from God. And if you do that and you share your, that story with us, you'll get the final piece of your Christmas ornament and you'll have a complete set if you've been, been making, uh, you know, going through all of these different challenges over the month. We really hope that you're doing it because this is an absolutely incredible and amazing gift that you get to offer your Jesus story told to those who are far from God. The ushers are going to come forward now, and we're going to be participating um, in the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to ask you guys, as they um, come up to distribute uh, these elements to you guys, I just want to uh, remind you now, at Beacon, we know you guys, there's got a lot of guests here, a lot of folks from out of town, uh, a lot of people visiting, just kind of checking out the church even tonight. At Beacon, our focus is on the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so you don't have to be a member here or even a regular attender in order to participate in the Lord's table with us. If you're here today, even if this is your first time and you're pursuing a relationship with Jesus, then we encourage you, we invite you to participate with us as part of a broader spiritual family. We count that as a privilege. So uh, when the trays come by, take a little piece of the matzo cracker and a little cup of the grape juice and hold on to them for just a moment. Don't take them right away because we're going, to, uh, we're going to be receiving these elements together in just a few moments after the ushers have uh, distributed them uh, to the whole of uh, the room. You know, this, this part of the Jesus story is so important for us to remember. You know, it's, it's easy for us to just kind of think of Jesus as having come into the world 2,000 years ago. He came in, he's a great guy, He's got a lot of witty things and some great truth that he talks about. And that's all great. It's all true. You might even say, well, he, he healed some people and he did some really nice things. And that's all true. But that's not the main reason that Jesus came. He came to earth in order to die. The cross where Jesus got crucified, that's not 
that's not a, a mistake of history. It was the plan that Jesus had all along. He was going to die on the cross. In fact, if he didn't die on the cross, we would be left in despair. We would have no way to come back to God. You see, the, the gift that he really gave us in coming on Christmas, it doesn't get realized until Easter. His birth was a promissory note that one day we would be restored back to our Heavenly Father. And that, that is the real gift. That's what Christmas was really all about. God breaking into our world to break through to us so that we could be made one again with Him. It was the death of Christ on the cross in our place. We deserved to die, but Jesus died in our place. And if you believe that, if you trust in that, then you have a Jesus story. And it's a powerful one. It's a powerful one. If this becomes ever more true to you, and to the degree to which you wrestle with this in your own heart, there is no way that you could ever be stopped from sharing that story. Because you'll know what it means. You'll know that the lost are found the dying are healed and it'll be your story as well as you continue to kind of work through this whole Christmas season keep these great truths at the center of it when you're writing your story you got to realize that this here the cross is the crux of your story it has to sit at the center of your Jesus encounter it's the only thing that will be of lasting value to you and to the other people that you'll share got to put the cross at the center of your life, the center of your story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this incredible gift, the gift of salvation, of eternal life with you because of the work that Jesus did on the cross in our place. Father, for all of the people here who don't yet have a Jesus story, I pray that you would, would draw them to yourself, that you'd work through their fears and their hesitations and why they're keeping you at arm's length. I pray, Lord, that you would just show them the depth of your love, your conviction that you have to know them and to save them. And I pray, Lord, that they would yield, yield fully and completely to you. And Lord, for those of us who have a Jesus story, I pray that the the reality of the cross, of your incredible love and your sacrifice for us and your power in this world, the promises of the life to come, that they would be so overwhelming and encouraging to our hearts that we can't help but share our story with any who would listen. It's a privilege that you've given us, Lord, and I pray that all of us would take advantage of it. We pray it in Christ's name.